Welcome to Thinking Reimagined, produced by Live Abundantly. Live Abundantly is committed to justice, equity, equality, diversity, and inclusion for the creation of a global society which respects the rights and well-being of all citizens. We invite you to visit our website livesabundantly.com to support our initiatives for women, youth and children. Thinking Reimagined, changing the mindset for For a better better global society. society. Hello everyone, good morning and thank you for joining us. Um, if you join a live on Facebook, please share this link. Um, someone would need to hear this conversation this morning. This is the Thinking Reimagined podcast. I am Mifemi Ogunchoye, and we're continuing our conversation on giving the youth a place. In the last episode, we talked about the NSAS memorial and how one thing is sure that the issue of police brutality has gotten even worse one year after we saw young people across Nigeria uh, demanding that government puts an end to the the special uh, um, anti-robbery squad that seemed to have um, instituted itself as an autocratic authority here in Nigeria. I was joined on this particular one by quite a number of youth advocates and many upwardly mobile Nigerians who are concerned about the future of this dear country. Ladies and gentlemen, BC Alimi joins us again on this episode. Hajarat Tudio is the PRO Naptid Lagos Command. Victoria Clement, teenage advocate, and Dr. Ama. Dr. Ama is executive director, Leave Abundantly. Thank you, ladies and guys, for joining us. I'd love to start particularly with Okechuku Peter Chebe. Okechuku is one of the young people who was arrested during the Ansas Memorial in Lagos. And I'd just like to find out from him what actually happened on that fateful day. Okay, Chico. Okay, hi, hi everybody. Um, just like the speaker said, um, my name is Achibuke Chiku. It's um, really a pleasure to be on this platform, getting people to hear a little bit of my story. Um, it was quite an eventful day, um, that particular day. I, I woke up and there was this deep um, uh, will, willingness to, to actually go there. I stood up, looked for what to write. And I think on my placard was, um, uh, we remember uh, to those that died, uh, we remember you. And to those that uh, survived, um, get your PVC. That was the message I actually wanted to pass out um, there on uh, that fateful day. Um, on, um, I left home normally, um, going to the toll gate, the number of police was just like, it was too much, like just way too much. I couldn't, because my actual plan was to go to the toll gate immediately and just 
show my placard for everybody to see and get my message. But on getting there, the police was just just too much. So I had to move um, further down. For anybody that knows Lagos very well, you know, um, after the Oriental Hotels, Oriental Hotels, I think after there, I stopped at that point and decided to walk back to uh, the toll gate. But uh, when I stopped, I, I saw a group of guys that stopped me because Proud the protest, there was this idea called the carpool idea that was on Twitter. There was a trend like a carpool. So the idea was to join, um, instead of actually walking in the toll gate or just standing there showing a placard, you enter the vehicle or a bus and you go to and through the toll gate, honking your vehicle and um, getting to let the people know that, okay, yeah, this is what's happening. The idea was really good. It was lovely. But then I, I actually didn't buy into it because I felt it really watered down what really happened there. Honestly, I love the idea. It's just from my own perspective. But on stopping there, I saw somewhere that I thought I was coming for the couple stuff. He told me about it and, and uh, I, I decided to wait a little while near that bus. I think my even standing there actually attracted more people to know, okay, yeah, this is the particular spot for people entering a couple. I think not all, up until like five to 10 minutes, I saw a police van coming. I was not at the toll gate. I was after a rental hotel. Uh, what's the name of that junction? Uh, I think I've forgotten. But I was after the oriental hotel. So I, uh, a police vehicle came to pick me. The funny thing is this. I actually saw these police guys coming. I knew they were coming to pick me. But I'd already told myself, this is what I came out for. I can't start running. Like, what's the whole point of leaving my house on getting to somewhere close to the uh, the toll gate or to come and uh, actually stay there or try to remember this guy that, that I'm running away. It's actually pointless. So I stood there, I did not run away. Uh, the police came to meet me. They took me and asked me, are you the owner of, are you the one uh, organizing this protest? These, that, and some sort of questions. I said, no, come on, I came on my own will. Nobody forced me here. I think I was pretty lucky. Uh, let me put it, I think I'll put in the God factor there. I was lucky that immediately I was arrested, I was not taken to the police station right away from that particular spot because obviously nobody would have known. Just a, a few passerby, there was no camera, there was no media at that particular spot that I was arrested. Lucky for me, instead of taking me to the police station directly, I was returned back to the toll gate. Um, they said they need to show me to their commander first of all before taking me. And lucky for me, the commander was right where the press, right where the press was. And immediately I came out, there was no way, this is really the point, this is why I actually came out, for the whole world to see, for the whole world to know that, oh yes, people actually died. And I can't now see the media and just remain quiet. I had to start speaking out. I had to start shouting. I think for very obvious reasons, I had to also start shouting my name screaming my name for everybody to know that, oh yes, this is the particular person that was uh, arrested. And thank God for the media. I think if the media wasn't there, the police would have given me a very fair share of, uh, well, I say the anger, they would have given me a little bit for, for uh, I really don't know why, but thank God the media was there. I was not beaten at that particular spot, on that particular spot. So after a particular, well, knowing that the camera was just all over me, they had to drag me into the Black Maria. Uh, lucky for me, I think, do I've been telling people 
that was not beaten. The reason why I tell people I was not beaten because relative to what other guys get, I, I see mine, it's absolutely nothing. I was, somebody blew me in my face, but when I compare it now to what they did to other people, I just knew it's absolutely nothing. So I just say, obviously they didn't beat, so I just put it that way. And lucky for me also, I, I realized I cooperated with them. They asked for my phone. I gave it to them immediately. They asked me to sit down in Maria. I sat down and I think that was why I was not beaten thoroughly. They left in the, the Black Maria. I would say it's not the same story with some other guy. And I think there was a video that actually moved around. A man that put on green track suits. I think he resisted a little bit and he was beaten. He was beaten inside the uh, bullion van. Nobody would know, obviously, there was no camera there, but he was beaten. And I think the painful thing there is, uh, I don't know, I don't know if uh, part of the requirement for the police force is that you must, there must be this little touch of wickedness that you must have before you get uh, recruited into the police force. Because inside the van, a policeman took this man iPhone 13 Pro, an iPhone 13 Pro for Christ's sake, an iPhone 13 Pro, and smashed it two times intentionally. No, tell me in any right sense, why will anybody do that? Why what? Is, like, if Hold on. They smashed iPhone 13 Pro. And they smashed iPhone 13 Pro in my presence, like in my presence. Two Was times. the guy trying to um, try? trying to cover what's happening inside the Black Maria. At no, the no, he wasn't. That's the funny thing. He didn't cover anything. The guy was just holding the phone. The police requested for the phone. He gave it to them, only for the next the next thing for the policeman to do, to smash it. And not just once, twice. You know, it was intentional. Now, the question is, why would somebody do that? Why will you do that? Like, it really begs the question, if you must have this torch, like I said, this sort of wickedness before you get enlisted into so the police. What happened to Kuchiku? Were you were you taken to the police station? Yeah, yeah from the black maria. Into the black maria. When we, uh, I think after ten minutes, like when they arrested that other guy on green, after like sort of ten minutes, they now took us to, I think the police station in Ikoi. I really don't know. And you know, at the police force, they always collect your device and they will not let you contact anybody. To speak to anybody i think it was down to, okay yeah when i got to the police station they collected our belongings the belts removed our shoes i think after about 30 minutes or so after our whole documentation and writing things that we have with us i think around, around 10 we should have entered this entered the cell yeah from around that 10 i think we've entered the cell and uh, from that 10 down till um okay i think a little i think i will know in as much as our police force a terrible set of people, they're very, very wicked set of people. I think I was pretty lucky to meet one. I think the person that was in charge that particular day, he was, I think he was really cool-headed. I give it to him. It would be very unfair for me to, to let this story out, and I will not say that. I think those guys, the people at that point in time, were very, very cool-headed people. I had running stomach. Imagine if I had a, a very, very, if there was a very terrible policeman there, I would have been doing my stuff in itself. But seeing the guy, they were very, very, he listened to me because I told him I had run his stomach. I had to go to the toilet two times. Imagine if it was this wicked one. Oh, God, it would have been very, very, very terrible for me. So I, I really give kudos to that particular one that really behaved like a human being. I didn't know there were humans in the police cell. At what point did yeah. they let you go? Um, we stayed, um, okay, we left the particular. My brother, after moving around Lagos, thank God my cousin really did a good job. It, my cousin and his friend, after moving around Lagos looking for us, because it was not an easy search. I think they went to like 
around five to six police stations, Lagos State, looking for me. I think that I think maybe around that five, six, because obviously I lost track of time. There was no my time uh, description might not be superly accurate. There was no form of I'm just giving a an assumption here. I think around that five, six, that's when they got to find me. And then I think we left the police cell. We left that particular police around 9.10. Well, we went to the mobile court, to the state uh, command where the mobile court was organized, where the whole court hearing was done. We pleaded not guilty, and the court was adjourned to next month. We are released okay. on bail. So you are still in court now? Yeah, I have to go to court the 9th of November. Did you get legal so representation? Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Um, yeah, I have legal. I don't know how they came about. Honestly, I think they were organized by maybe the feminist coalition. Uh, honestly, I don't know who organized them per se. I can't give you an accurate account because they never said. We just saw them. And they were really oh. there. They were on Twitter. And I spoke to a few of them to thank them on. But honestly, I can't see who organized them for us. Like, but they were really, really, really there for us. I think they were there up to the point where we left the state CID, I think around past 11 or so. All right. Hold on, okay, yeah, yeah. I'll be yeah. back with you shortly. Uh, okay. More on what you went through and- Okay, no problem. What that also means to you. But let me bring Hajara in uh, very quickly before I hear from BC. I, I, I'm beginning to think that many of the people who we're looking for, who we think are trafficked, may be somewhere in police cell. Don't you think so, Hatera? I don't believe you, Femi. That's not true. That's not true. Uh, good morning, everyone. Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Go ahead, Hatera. Okay. Um, when you're talking about people who were trafficked, you won't find them in police cells. And even if you're finding them in police cells, not the cells here in Nigeria. They might be in cells in Libya and they're suffering worse things than those in police cells in Nigeria, trust me. You have those who come back with gunshots and all that. And um, okay, Chuku, I we can't take away what you have faced and what the youths are facing. And I must say, I apologize for what is going on. I must say that because of course I work for the government and all but it's a system I wish we could change. The police is there to protect you. The police is there to provide a service. It's just sad that we are all here to provide a service, various services actually. It is law enforcement. And I'm glad you said you saw someone who was sane that day. Basically, we are all expected to be sane. But you find out that things don't work the way they ought to. The question now is how do we make that work? How do we ensure that the system serves us and not work against us? This is already um, a system in place, but how do you tweak it? How do you make it better? Is um, facing it with aggression the right idea? Um, do we um, now say that because the, um, the police or any other law enforcement is using so much force, scrap it. Is that the answer? Or is there a way of making things better? Is there a way of changing the prevailing um, circumstance and making it work for us? If you say today that law enforcement, um, like during the answers, 
unfortunately, police stations were being burned and um, some of them also lost their lives. These are also human beings. These are also fathers and mothers of someone. If we're meeting aggression with aggression, is that the answer? The youths today, um, the generation before us might have failed us. Then we came in. I don't know about me, Femi. I don't know what your generation is. I don't know if you're the tree top drinking generation like I am, you know? What do you think? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know really. But if our generation couldn't do the right thing to change it, what can the next generation do so that we don't continue on this trajectory? That's the mm. idea. We can't mm. all run away. There is no other country that can contain Nigerians. We are so many. No other country can contain us. They can't even dare to think of us running to them, really. So what do we do? And that's why I love this platform. We can change our thoughts. We can bring new ideas into play here. Now, as the youth, what can we do to change this trajectory? Do we have to meet aggression with aggression? Or do we show them where they have gotten it wrong? I'm glad that, okay, Chiku, you said you didn't even know where you got the legal representation from. At this point, I'm very happy because that means somebody was thinking right. Somebody knew that, oh, things are going to go wrong. So they decided, fine, there must be a provision for those who will go and speak out or represent these ones in case there's a problem. That's putting something, you know, it's something different. You didn't have to go there and start looking for a lawyer. There were already lawyers on ground. And I'm sure these were youths who organized themselves and decided to use that knowledge and put it in play. If they didn't have anyone to represent them, of course, then Nifemi, you can talk about them being in jails and we not knowing where they are, but there were people there to speak for them. Is there a way that the youths will come together and organize and show the leaders, we, our generation, what should have been done? How should it be? What is the right picture? Because I'm sad that even amongst us, even though you're saying that there's police brutality and law enforcement is, there are times where you say you arrest a young person for something. It is also fellow youths who raise up their hands to start beating them without asking questions, without saying this person should be represented, this person should be heard. So how do we change this? Do we meet aggression with aggression or do we try and look for a new path, new ideas? That's all I'm asking here. Absolutely. Um, Hatera doesn't believe that traffic persons are in police cell. But I can no tell way. you for free that um, <laughs> many people would think that are, that are missing today or that will think I'm kidnapped or adopted, we might find some of them in police cell or in some of our prisons. So as a journalist, I've covered um, the usual criminal parade, which of course is even illegal. The police doesn't yes. have the mm -hmm. to parade any criminal that has not been convicted. But that's 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 the culture here in Nigeria. And I've no, but the, the police is correcting to... that, Nifemi. It's, yes, it's, but it's, I have had- The IG is correcting that. He's correcting yes, that. Yes, hopefully, maybe, the, maybe, maybe they will correct it tomorrow, but on the news last night, the one I read, uh, this two parade suspects in Nigeria in the light of today. And I've had the privilege to 
you know, interview some of these um, suspected criminals, you'll be shocked, Hadera, that many of them have no idea about the offense they are paraded for. So the police tells you this is a this is an armed robbery suspect, and the guy tells you, "Oh, I was coming back from club 2 a.m. and they picked me into their van." And you'll be shocked that most of these people are now awaiting trial in many of our, you know, ill-equipped prisons across the world. I mean, across across the country. In the past um, eight months, thereabout or ten months, there be more than eight prison breaks in Nigeria. It also tells you how how badly we're doing. Um, prisons that are supposed to, in a way, rehabilitate are now doing worse things. People come out of our correctional centers more hardened criminals than they were before they were arrested. So we're really in a hot soup. But let me bring BC in on this one. Um, it would have taken a lot of courage for someone like Ikechiku to decide to go out and protest. I mean, it is Lagos. Every young Nigerian is thinking about how to make admins, how to go to work and, you know, you know, make life better for themselves. Who wants to return to Tollgate where some people have been killed? Do you think that young Nigerians will have to keep waiting till we are pushed to the wall before we begin to take courageous steps like making our voices heard? Or what alternatives do you foresee, BC? Thank you very much, um, Nifemi, and um, once again, good morning, everyone. Um, first of all, I also want to um, reach out to Okechuku um, and really say that, um, yeah, indeed, that was very, very courageous of you. And um, and I'm, I'm not going to say that I am sorry for the experience that you went through, because I didn't cause it. And I'm not going to apologize for it, but I hope that one day, Nigeria will be in touch with its humanity and apologize to you, to me, and to everyone that Nigeria has denied the opportunity to, uh, um, to have a sense of self. Um, uh, it is painful to, to hear uh, stories like this. Um, and I find it really hard also to have to listen through um, Ajara talked about kind of like trying to make excuse for, for the Nigerian police force. And there's no way we can understand how brutal, inhuman, um, and dehumanizing the Nigerian police is out for Nigeria. And if we don't understand the reason why police were created in the first place, um, police are a tool of oppression. They were not created to protect. They were created to, they were created to enforce. And this is one of the reasons why they are called the, the police force. And you can see that not just this is not just a Nigerian problem. In the UK, we're now seeing policemen who have been involved in sex trafficking, in um, in sexual harassment, in kidnapping. Um, in America, we see how the American police react to the black to the body of black and brown people. The police force is an instrument of oppression, and everybody has a right to call for the dismantling of the police force. More importantly. In Nigeria, it serves no purpose. You cannot be attacked by armed robbers and call the Nigerian police. They're not going to come. You can't face any danger and call the Nigerian police. They're not going to come. So what's the point? What's the point of having them? And I think the point of having them is the experience that Okechuku has shared. But that is an experience shared within the framework of the protest. Let's quickly talk about experience that I know that did not happen within the framework of, of protest. The fact that 
in eastern part of Nigeria up until today. There is a police officer, I've forgotten what his name is, who is called the agent of death. He has killed a lot of people, mostly young people in eastern part of Nigeria. The man is still a police officer. This is one of the reasons why young people came out to demand for justice. And when people demand for justice and then we use the word force, I don't think it's fair on the fact that young people in Nigeria have been arrested, have been detained, just like Nifemi said. Many of them have not been accounted for, many are dead. Um, we have parents who are still waiting for one day that their, their children will turn up. They have no idea where they are. We have children whose their father or their mother have gone missing and there's no respite. There's nobody looking for them. There's nobody searching for them. We have people who are locked up in Nigerian prisons who have committed no crime whatsoever. So trying to make an excuse for such institutional oppression, tool of oppression in the hands of the Nigerian political elites, for me, it's not fair. And I don't think it does any service to the pain and the sufferings of the Nigerian youth. And I will stop there. Thank you, BC, for your contribution. We'll get um, Hadera's replies <laughs> in the course of this conversation. I see Victoria Clement online. Moses Omohena has also joined us. Thank you guys for standing by. Victoria, very quickly, let's have your reaction to um, Okichuku's story um, before we move on. Okay, um, thank you very much. Well, I think that the government and the law enforcement agencies have a lot of work to do concerning the youth and affairs of Nigeria, because this country and the way police and every and the way um, law enforcement agencies carry out their duties is very very wrong, and for um, the youths that were beaten and tortured and faced so many um, stuff, I just feel that I just feel that the government needs to do a lot of things. But going away from the political aspect, let's go into the social aspect. So many youths now are afraid of their lives and they're afraid of going to so many parts in this country. Okay, let's take a look. Some, someone will tell you that, okay, once I get money, once I'm rich, I'm leaving this country, I will just process my, my visa, do everything I need to do and leave here because this country, there is nothing good for we youths here. And I can't blame them for what they say because I'm also scared as a youth because there's no place you go to, you'll be like, I hope I'm safe. I hope I don't get embarrassed here. I hope I don't get um, at least tortured or something like that. And let's leave all those political aspects and the rest. Let's even go into the social aspects. So many youths, Nigerian youths are very talented. Like Nigerian youths have aims, they have ambitions, they have goals, they've set goals for themselves. But it's just that the facilities for them are not available. And the government needs to work on this. Like there are so many youths that want to like go to so many places, want to do so many things, but the connection there is not there for them. So I feel that there's there are lots of works for the government to do is that we need so many crime just scale of the answers that happened last year but you see that they were shot so many of them were killed no you to want to come out again to do anything because they'll be like oh this thing is going to happen i'm going to face so many challenges and stuff like that so i just feel that everything should just be placed 
in their rightful places and things should just go well employment should be available for youths and so many things should be involved because uh, look at what the president said that we Nigerian youth are lazy and I think that's a lie because we are not lazy it's just that we need that connection we need those facilities to help us improve ourselves so I think that's just my own suggestion thank you I agree with you Victoria the government needs to do more however when you say that people are leaving this country for a security case, perhaps we'll have that conversation later, but you'll be shocked that there are more people killed on a daily basis in a country like America than in Nigeria. And that's a conversation I don't think we're ready to have. The fact that insecurity is a global challenge that is not only you know, peculiar to Nigeria, as it were. So I wouldn't leave Nigeria because of insecurity, because I could just get shot on the street of America. But I know that some people have my head for saying that. But let's get to Moses very quickly. Um, so I'd like us to talk about accountability because I'm told is one issue that you have raised. Um, so I, I have seen um, Mr. Macaroni's video where he put the camera on policemen who allegedly had collected 30,000 from a young boy. You know, the challenge in this part of the world is that everyone just, we don't want trouble. You see police harassing someone and you just want to move on with your life because you have a deadline. And then you don't want a stray bullet to hit you. Um, what more can we do beyond organized protests to, you know, make public officials accountable, particularly um, with the issue we're currently having with the police force? Thank you, Nifemi. Um, good morning, everyone. And um, well, good morning from Lagos. I'm not sure if we we sharing the same time zones. Um, I want to also apologize for joining in late. Um, yeah, great question. Um, but before I answer that, I just wanted to, because I the little the bit I heard of um, Hajira talking about the police, um, like Bisi rightly said, there seemed to be some you know defense and um, wanting to absolve the Nigerian police. But um, it's sad that someone who has been given the mandate to protect and to serve me is exactly the same person that you know, that also wants to cause, you know, unspeakable harm and pain. Um, my grandmother would always often say this, that the difference between the Nigerian police and an armed robber is that one person has given a license to rob you and the other person does not. That's a sad expression, a very, very sad expression. And um, every time I get engaged by the Nigerian police, where he stops me, first of all, even the rules of engagement, right? Um, we see this, you know, we experience this abroad where you're being stopped by law enforcement and he cordially greets you and exchange pleasantries, you know, in a polite and civil manner. Even though his undertone might be a little racist, but, you know, he's, um, he's not outrightly rude and disrespectful to you as we find here, right? The first thing you hear from Nigerian police is, hey, stop there. But there's already, a, there's already a tense, you know, um, approach, basically. And then he starts asking irrelevant questions. You know, what have you, what did you, what did you eat today? You know, what have you, because he wants to rob you. He wants, he wants to stylishly, you know, um, extort you, right? I've had so many times where I've had to ask, tell a policeman, that's not your business. My private life is not your business. That's not why you're on the road, right? Do your job. And of course you could see that they get upset because when you get to challenge them, you know, um, you know, um, you know um, in that manner, 
Well, now to answer your question about accountability, first and foremost, everything is on the books, really. I think our judicial system needs to stop being a toothless broker. We have a judicial system in Nigeria that is just there theoretically, right? Um, what are the powers of our judicial system? When we see cases of someone being maimed, being brutalized, even being killed by law enforcement, right? And then there's awareness about it. What role is the judicial system playing to make sure that the families of that person or that individual finds or gets justice, right? Um, I think the media also has a role to play in terms of consistency and follow-up. We were, a few years ago, we, it was all over the news where a young girl, a 13-year-old girl was killed by you know, a trigger-happy policeman, a hawker, a street hawker. Where's the story today? No one is talking about it anymore. It's, it's gone into voicemail, right? There has to be continuous you know, consistency and reminder, follow-up by the media in saying, hey, this girl, so-so girl, so-so boy, is yet to find justice. What is Nigerian government doing about it? Where is the policeman? And it has to be, there has to be transparency. Um, the most transparent judicial proceedings that we've, that we've seen to date is, is Oputa panel, where we saw live of how cases were being judged and sentences were being made. We need to bring back that culture and that attitude to today. Because the police PR comes and tells us, oh, he has been accosted and he's seriously facing disciplinary uh, sanction. Meanwhile, behind the scenes, we know that he's been transferred to one village in the north, right? Or to one place elsewhere where he continues his usual business of extorting civilians. So it has to be transparency. It has to be transparent that yes, this person has been, take a scapegoat of him or her. So there, so there has to be, and then we also have to demand that transparency through the judicial arm because there's a limit to which civilians can go. There are people who have been charged with responsibility of demanding those arms of transparency and accountability, and they're not doing it. So who am I, a bloody civilian, to challenge that? And speaking about accountability, let me even shock you that the Nigerian police is the only sector that has no organized uh, um, um, discussion of how budgets is being spent. The Nigerian police force is the only sector that does not that does not account for the money being sent to it or allocated to it by the federal government. And so, what do you expect where a sergeant is receiving sixty thousand naira every month? I took a trip the other day to the police barracks on Amadu Bello Way, right, and it literally felt like a pig style. The stench coming out, and God help me, that day rained. So the stench from the barracks was just appalling. Now you could see that when you, when you take, a, take a walk down the barrack street, you could see anger. You could see this, you could, I even saw one of them even drunk. This was at 10 a.m. the morning, drunk in the barracks. Now such a man has been given a gun to go on the street and to attend to me. What do you expect? I hope Hajira is listening to this because I, because I, I and I hope I'm, I'm not sure who Hajira is, but I'm hoping she would, you know, hopefully take this feedback to the police force, you know, because of her earlier comment. So there has to be, and the fact that the police is even against youth, you know, pro, harm, harmless protesters who are also fighting for their own well-being, says speaks volumes because part of the five-point agenda that will later turn into nine 
is police reforms is for their own good, and yet they were supposed to even be part and parcel of the protest. What does what exactly does that say? It says a lot. So all this put together, I think, is what we need to do um, in terms of accountability. It's a bit of a dilemma, to be honest, but then it's really no rocket science at the end of the day because our judicial system needs to sit up, needs to, there has to be consistency in, you know, in proceedings and making that, that accountability transparent, you know, because there's, there's a lot of trust issues on the side of Nigerians, basically. So let's see, let's see what has been done. Let's see justice take, let's not hear it. Let's see justice take place, basically. And the media too, the media needs to, needs, needs to, needs to get, get in line. Absolutely, Moses. Who else has Moses's courage to ask the policeman, um, say, oh, what's your business with my private life? <laughs> so I do a lot of late night trips from work. And then, you know, there was a time when they had a lot of checks and a lot of um, stops on the way. And you can call me, you can say that I don't have Um, approach, I think that every Nigerian must learn in the short term is how to how to be very civil with a hungry man carrying a gun, because that's the picture you've painted to us. They are they are not well kept, they are not well paid, and some of them, you know, the only money they are taking home at night is what they get from the tricycle riders and the motorcyclists and some of the motorists that they are able to harass. So there is a way I would talk to a policeman, especially at the middle of the night, that would be different from the way I would have, you know, talked to him in broad daylight. I also think that it's important that Nigerians out of their bitterness do not, you know, speak untowardly towards a policeman particularly now that we understand what the challenge is, that many of them do not even have what it takes to do the job they're doing. Um, I know that one of the issues raised after the NSAS memorial was the fact that Nigeria should stop giving bribe to police, that every motorist to ensure that they get their papers, you know, up to date and insist that they are not giving them kickbacks. And I think this is also one of the issues that must be raised um, um, as we continue this conversation. But I can see that Hadara's hands are raised. So I'm going to take yeah. Hadara's um, um, comment very quickly before I go to Okuchiko. Hi, Hadara. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much, Nifemi. Moses, please, I am not speaking for the police. I am not authorized to speak for them. And um, when I was invited for this discussion, on, so I, was, I didn't think the discussion was going to be focused on, okay, the police is the problem. That's, that's, not, that's not what I felt the discussion was going to be about, really. What I expected was that we're going to think outside the box. How do we ensure, that was why I was saying, is that the answer? The actions we're taking today, Moses, is that the answer? Once I see someone on the road, do I get on the defensive or on the attack? Is that the answer? What should I do? I am not speaking for the police. I am not the PR for the police. Speaking for NAPTIP, we are also law enforcement. But you, you, you find out that at least we work with Dr. Ama. We don't, you make sure that you respect the next person 
the person who comes to you is a client. So you provide services. But the idea now is, can we ensure that everybody who is expected to provide services knows and respects the next person and knows what they are expected to do? And how do we change that? Moses, Victoria, you are the next people who will take over this. You are already working on something. I'm sure you are busy young people. Now, in your circle, what ideologies are you, you know, getting others to learn from you? How do you treat other people when they come to you? How do you treat them? Can, like like um, Nifemi just said, can Nigerians stop being, you know, we are angry too. Nigerians are basically angry. Yes, we are angry with the system, but what do we do to help the system? We don't have any other country to go to, so how do we change it? How do we infuse the right attitudes? How do we ensure that everyone providing service is ready to provide that service without stepping on my rights as a person? How do I ensure that every time I come, and then, you know, when you're talking about the judiciary has to do this, the media has to do this, you are a common Nigerian. You are not a common Nigerian, Moses. You are a Nigerian. When you make demands, the right demands on the system, the system will definitely serve you. In a situation whereby we are always in a haste and we don't want to follow due process, that is why we're having these problems. We open the doors to the problems. Make the system work for you. Don't say that you need a passport today and you decide that you're going to start the processes today and you want it today. Don't do that. Don't say you're coming to NAPTIP for answers and you expect the as an if it's a process that you need to go through and someone says, this is the process. Don't look for a short course, follow due process. And then when we make general statements, Victoria, oh, you want the right things, you want right things put in place, right things put in place, who is going to put it in place? Define what those things are, state the steps you know that should be taken. Who are the people, who are the players you need to approach, the stakeholders you need to approach? Place this thing on the table. Let it be in black and white so that if they don't do what they are supposed to do, you can run back and say, okay, media, I have done this. Project it, I have done this. Why is it that these people are not responding this way or this was what was expected to be done? Hold people accountable, but that doesn't mean we meet aggression with aggression. It's not giving us the answers we seek. That's all I am saying. I am not making excuses for anyone. I am just saying, please, let's not meet aggression with aggression. Rather, let us think about, let's bring out our ideas. Yes, Nigerians are very creative. Let's see how right, those creativities will work for us. Safe for those countries. Absolutely. I think you made a point, and I'm going to get to basic in a moment. I see that his hands are raised, but just give me a moment. Let me run through for Chiku. Um, in this last segment of the program, I'd like us to turn attention to what we can do, um, what we must do, and how we can change what appears a very obvious problem. But let me get back to Kachuku very quickly. So I saw, I saw you on the news, and um, 
at that point when you were taken, when you were being taken to the Black Maria, you were shouting at the top of your voice, saying that a Nigerian should watch. Talk to me, what was going on on your mind at that time? Um, um, first of all, Nigerian watch, I think I was quite scared because obviously I know stories of what the police force can do. They can just carry you and cook up stories and label it on you and it's all gone for you. Possible kill you and label you as the... Uh, when I was screaming, I really wanted them to see what was really happening. Like the whole evidence, let it be out there that look, I'm not at fault in anything. It's all the Nigerian police. There was an element case, of fear um, in there at that yeah. time. Yeah. So quick one, I don't know if, uh, aside from this question, I, I, I quickly have something to say. Please go ahead. Okay, please. Um, there's something, uh, I really don't know her name, Victoria. There's something she said, let's drop aside um, politics and say something social. The truth is, everything is politics. Like everything is political. There is nothing we want to do right now that doesn't stem from politics. If you have a terrible head, once you have a terrible head, there's absolutely nothing. There's nothing you want to do right here, right now. There's no solution that you want to bring right here, right now. That once you have a terrible head, that will work. There's nothing, there is no solution. So from my own end, because I feel if we want to start talking about the problems of this country from now, I'm very, very sure this podcast will definitely not end. For me, I feel the only solution, let me not say the only solution, but one very big solution that we have, we've tried praying to God. That's the truth. We've all tried. We've fasted in my own church. I don't know if your own church, you've done that already. I think we should drop the spiritual part of it right now. I think I'm really done. Let's, it's time for us to use the only power that we have right now, our PVC. In all honesty, that's the only thing we have right now. We can't do the J.J. Rollins. I don't know if you know J.J. Rollins of Ghana, what he did in Ghana. We can't go that style. I can't go and catch the Tinubu and do something to him. Sorry to mention his name or some terrible person. I can't fight. I can't. The only power I have right now is my PVC. And I feel this is a very, very public, uh, this is a public platform for me to say this. If anyone watching this doesn't have the PVC, trust me, you are one of the problems. There's no, there's no long talk towards it. You are part of the problem. You need that PVC. Without that PVC, we cannot vote in the right leader. We cannot. A lot of people say our vote will not count. Get that PVC first. And trust me, when I was in the cell with the group of because we were 33 number, I stood up and talked to those 33 people. I'm sorry, 35 number. I stood up and talked to them, even in that cell, that it would be very, very terrible for each and every of us to pass through this experience and we don't come out to get our PVC. It's very, very wrong. The first way, the first step to solving this problem is putting <laughs> somebody that we know we can hold accountable. There's nobody right there, right now that we can call and nobody, nobody gives a damn about us. That's truth. We need to put somebody there that hears, that listens, that has this human heart, not what we have right there, right now. So please, if you are watching, please get your PVC. Thank you very Absolutely. much. Absolutely. Okay, thank you very much for your passionate appeal. Let me get to BC very quickly. So I understand that some of us might differ on the approach, but I'd like us to focus on the solution now. So um, let's take, for instance, um, Okechuku is talking about getting PVCs, and it's very fantastic. However, I'm also thinking that what that would mean is that 
if the only hope we have is in PVC, it means therefore that if we get it wrong in 2023, we then will have to wait and hold on again to 2027. Um, isn't there a way the electorate haven't voted can also make people in office accountable for every decision they make? Isn't that the reason why we have houses of assembly, national assembly and the legislature to you know, take a look at some of these decisions before the executive signs them? Is it possible that there is an organized way that young people can make their, you know, their mind known about certain direction of government? Uh, I really don't want to sound like, um, like an hopeless person because to be honest, I'm practically just a little bit hopeless about Nigeria. Um, I don't know what is going on. You ran away, well, I did not run away. Nigeria chased me out. And it is also part of the bigger problem, right? Um, so you get a PVC, and I do agree with you, Okechuku, to vote. But your vote doesn't count. It doesn't. Because they have the mechanism to rig the election. And they do that. They've been doing that forever, right? They will manufacture figures. So get your PVC. And I'm not saying don't get your PVC, but get it. But does it really count? And then you talk about, Nifemi, you talk about, you know, talking to elected officials, officials. Do we have those mechanisms? Do you even know who your local government chairman is? Right? And when he's coming to the office, can you imagine the number of the entourage that will follow him? So the people can't even have access to it. Just even look at the church. You now have pastors coming into church with bodyguards and guns. That is the mentality of Nigeria. So this idea of accountability, we, we really need to find a way. I, 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 I'm very sure there's a way we can reset Nigeria. I'm not just sure how about. But before I, 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 I stop, I wanted, just wanted to quickly address something that Hajara said, because I felt like she felt like my coming to I was a personal thing. It wasn't really a personal thing. I was, I was trying to look at Nigeria uh, as a whole. And some of the things that you said, I do agree with, but I do disagree with it. So, and I'm sure that um, Dr. Ama can testify to what I'm about to say. I, I, I travel to Nigeria a lot. And right from the airport, right from the moment you come out of the plane, Everybody wants to exalt you. Everybody wants to take money off you. Everybody wants something from you. Your flight lands, you've been flying since before you even get to the airport. So you leave your home around about six o'clock in the morning to get to the airport so that you can get on the 9.30 flight to Lagos. You've flown six hours. You get to Lagos around about 5.30 and your car is, is waiting. You are trying not to get into Lagos traffic. There's a lot going on for you, right? And people are there at every point that are going to delay you if you don't give them something. You are angry, you are cranky, you are tired, and you expect me to be nice to those people. I don't know I'm supposed to do that. Because the question is this, right? It is about me 
being nice. And I hear that a lot, and I'm going to put it side by side by, with racism. It is always the oppressed that we want to be nice to the oppressor. We don't put a system in place to hold the oppressor accountable, whether it comes to sexism, whether it comes to racism, whether it comes to homophobia, it is the oppressed that we expect to say, don't use force, don't be angry, do this, do that. But we completely forget that the oppressed will not act the way the oppressed is acting if there is no oppressor. So for us to find a lasting solution, we need to talk about the oppressors. And why do we have the SAS? That is a question nobody has answered. Why do we have the SAS? There is no reason for them. There's no reason for their existence. And I wanna make a disclaimer here. My father was a police officer, right? And I have had this conversation with my father over and over and over and over again. He's in his nineties now. And we've talked about this. And he would tell me that even when they were in the police college, the kind of training that they give to them is to take away their humanity from them because that is the only way they can enforce and, and, you know, Moses said something important that we've not even focused on. The legislative structure, in uh, the, 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 the law enforcement, the law, the judiciary structure in Nigeria, right? Where can one go to? So a policeman harass you. You cannot talk to the elected officials to, lay, to, 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 um, to, to inform them so that they can take action. You can't go to court and get justice because... It's about how much do you have for you to be able to get, justice is on sale in Nigeria and it's to the highest bidder. So what is left for an average Nigeria? There is no job. The Naira is rubbish, right? The existence of every Nigerian is like disillusion. And like somebody said, every structure in Nigeria is created to kill every Nigerian. And we think that we're still expecting people who are trying to survive to find a solution to a problem they did not create. Mm. It's very complex. Wow, wow, wow. Um, I'm just told that Okechuku Achebe has to leave by 12. Okechuku, we're so grateful for your courage. Thank you for choosing to speak out for Nigeria. It is a very courageous thing to do. And we're so proud of you. And we're hoping that you're going to join us in our subsequent, uh, subsequent episodes of um, thinking rain margin. Uh, BC, I think you have raised a very powerful point and I'm just going to ask Moses, how do we make the oppressor accountable? And I understand the need to get our PC, uh, P, what do we call it again? PVCs, right? Permanent voter cards. I understand that. Of course, BC is quite pessimistic <laughs> that your vote is not likely to count, I disagree with him because now results are expected to be transmitted electronically. This is what that means is that this 2023 election, if this bill is signed into law, may not be as easy to read as previous ones. It means therefore that the moment everyone is counted, you know, they count the votes publicly at the polling units. Everyone who comes to vote knows the result right there. What they're telling us now is that with that information, it is electronically transmitted and collated. All those years of waiting hours, they're bringing one vote all the way from Kaduna, bringing it from Kano, and then 
a lot of calculus has happened on the way. That's not likely going to happen this time. And I understand your pessimism. I mean, the average Nigerian is, given the experience that, that they've had. But I think that you're also optimistic. It is why we're having this conversation. It's why you're always willing to join us <laughs> week in, week out. So I'm hoping that things indeed would get better. But Moses, talk to us about how Nigerians can hold the oppressors accountable without having to wait for the next four years or election year, so to speak. Well, um, Nifemi, I, I think um, I think BC's um, comment, because I, I really wanted, I think he, he was uh, quite spot on. I won't exactly, I won't exactly say that BC is pessimistic, um, but I think he's very realistic. And everything that he has said is the reality on ground, right? That being said, it can be changed. Things can be done if we all have the unity and the will to do it. You see, the problem is not being afraid to die for Nigeria. I can willingly die for Nigeria. The question is, will my death matter? If I know for a fact that if I die today, if I die at Lekki Togate, if I die at National Museum or at Asurok, that my death would spark up a change in the real sense of it, I will be happy to do it. But the question is, will my death matter? And that's the reason why, why it is so painful that Lekki Togate is not new, or the instance of Lekki Togate, what happened at, um, at Ogoni? The military, is not today, the military has opened fire on, on harmless civilians. Women and children were, were brutally killed by the military at Ogoni in South South. Where is the case today? Where is justice for those families? Timaya sang about it. Where is the case today? So when Oketuku talked about PVC, he was saying that with the consciousness of the reality on ground, because the reality is that we have a systematic, deep-rooted problem. And the way to go is to clean up the system. And the way to clean up the system is by getting, getting rid of the vultures at the helm of affairs. What do you do when the president, when the chief justice of, of, of the Federation is the president's houseboy? Or the Senate president is is an ally to the president, or the governors are the president's messengers. What do you do? And I say it again, Hajira said I am not just, because that's what the Nigerian community has told me, or the Nigerian, the Nigerian uh, presidency has told me, especially in recent time, that I am just a bloody civilian, a powerless bloody civilian. That's, that's the body language I'm being told every, every, every day. So I think, I mean, Honestly speaking, I don't know if much can be done between now, you know, before 2023, but I am hopeful that what we need to do moving forward, starting right now, is by cleaning up the system because the system is rotten. And how do we do that? Is by being deliberate on those that we give our mandate to stand in, in office on our behalf. Absolutely. Now, take, you were talking about electronic, um, electronic, um, you know, um, broadcasting of results. The truth is, Nifemi, anything that has tech can be hacked and can be manipulated. So that's not that's not even, you know, it might be one step forward, but it may not necessarily eliminate the problem. And the problem is not even going to vote. The problem is, even on my way to vote, am I going to be killed by a stray bullet? What is the security? In leaving my house, because if I'm if I'm if I'm if I'm at home with my PVC, getting ready to go out to cast my mandate, 
and I'm hearing gunshot at the junction. Do you think I would want to come out? Absolutely not. But guess what? The gunshots at the junction I'm hearing is strategic because the, polit the politicians know that that gunshot will deter me from going out to cast my mandate. So even mm -hmm. insecurity in itself is a strategy. Absolutely. So, so what is the communication to average civilians like me that I will be safe when going to cast my mandate? That's one. What is the role of INEC here? How transparent and objective is INEC ready to bring out the best of the best amongst us to rule? Take, for example, the presidential candidates. There has to be equal visibility on all presidential aspirants and candidates you know, across all political parties. Because the truth is, most of the time during campaign, all we hear is APC and PDP. What happens to other, what happens to other political candidates? There are brilliant candidates that come from other political uh, parties. Where's the visibility for them? Why can't INEC come up with a meet and greet, for example, a presidential meet and greet, where all the political and uh, 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 presidential candidates, you know, are being lined up being broadcasted live by, by the media nationwide, where we can ask them qualitative questions, basically, like a meet and greet across boards, and the nation is watching. And of course, there are strict sanctions if you don't show up for those, for those uh, briefings as a presidential you know, aspirant. Same thing can apply at the various uh, state levels for governorship uh, aspirations. Look at the ministerial screening, for example. Where we saw Fashola literally fighting for his for you know for a seat for a minister and the likes. Why can't we have something like that? We also the ministerial screening, right? Why can't we have presidential aspirants who, who can be put on their toes like that? Governorship aspirants can be put on their toes like that. Senators who can be put on their toes like that. Why can't we have that? Broadcasted live, the nation is watching. And people can even have live questions, you know, to ask these people who would lead and stand on their behalf. Why is not rocket science for crying out loud? It's 2021. Why can't we do that? Anybody who doesn't show up at the presidential debates should be automatically disqualified. I wasn't joking when I said that. Because not showing up at the presidential debate, for example, is like not showing up at the, at the exam hall and you expect to and you expect to get a result. That's how serious it should be. So I think I we all need to be deliberate about the process, even in choosing our candidate, because when we are deliberate, when we speak more on quality of how rigorous and how deliberate we are picking our candidates, I think we can even pick out, you know, the best from, from the, from in quotes, the, the, the left, the, the vultures that we have in court. We are all seeing this, there is a certain named politician who is already campaigning for a major political party across the nation as we speak. Right. Where are the other voices? What is what is the what is the demand to ask him? What are your plans in the first place? What makes you what makes you capable never running for office in the first place? Where is that rhetoric? So yeah, we need to. I mean, uh, I don't know. Like I said, I don't know if much can be done between now, but I think we need to clean up the system and clean up the system. Really, is by being intentional and deliberate in how we choose those leaders in the first place. I think there is hope. I don't think all hope is lost. Absolutely. I don't think all hope is lost, really. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much. Guys, we have to go now. I agree with Moses that insecurities is a strategy. I even think that there is a measure with which 
security can even be a strategy to manipulate elections. Look at the Anambra poll, for instance. We are now told that two deputy inspector generals, five assistant inspector generals, 14 commissioners of police, 31 DCPs, and 48 ACPs. That's, um, that's massive. That's pulling the whole police infrastructure into a particular state, not to talk about over 30,000 police personnel that have now been deployed for that election. The president himself uh, made that pronouncement, make Canambra the security center. This election was hold. I'm telling you for free. What that means is that we might be looking forward to a level of voter apathy that we haven't seen before. Because when an election is also too policed, you don't expect people to come out. They're wondering why are guns everywhere? And everyone just stays, everyone stays indoor. And that gives, you know, freedom to um, the politicians to manipulate the poll. But I must say a big thank you to everyone who has joined this conversation. I'm gonna ask Victoria um, to quickly give us a closing remarks on this one. And then we'll move on from there. Victoria, are you still there? Yes, yes, um, yeah. It's a little bit overwhelming, okay. I know, particularly when you hear, you know, <laughs> uh, the, the concerns of others. But talk to us, Victoria. Well, I don't want to sound hopeless or maybe I don't think something can be done, but I feel that it's going to take a long time for things to get changed because this issue has been happening for a very long time, for so many years, even our past leaders, even our parents have witnessed this during their time. So I think it's going to take a very long time for this to be solved. But I think our PVC can also help and improvement of our um, security should also matter because once people feel safe to come out and voice out their own opinion, I think everything will get better. And so many Nigerians are scared. Nobody wants to go, nobody wants to die. Everybody is scared to come and say their own opinion. So I think our security should also matter yet yeah, it should be improved and my last my last point point is that i feel that concerning the law and um, concerning the police matter and and rest i feel that laws should be made our laws maker should be put in place everything should be put in place and laws should be made consigning the police affairs and when such laws get broken people and um, police that make this um like breaks the law should be punished. I think this will help solve everything. Because when once other corrupt police say that, okay, this person is punished, they want to take correction and everything can get better. So I think this is just my own point. Thank you. I agree with you, absolutely. I agree with you, absolutely. Uh, Bisa, let's have your final thoughts on this matter. You know, <laughs> um, I love Nigeria, I really do. But it breaks my heart that it is where it is. But at the same time, I think that Nigeria can change. And borrowing words from Victoria and Moses, we have to be intentional, but we have to be patient. To readjust and return Project Nigeria, we take the next 60 years, but we have to start now. It's not something that is just going to, we're just gonna wake up one day and everything will change. I believe Nigeria can change. And why do I say that? I know I said that last week, 
Because when you take Nigerians away from Nigeria and put them in a society where there are rules and regulations, Nigerians always conform. That says something, that the problem is not inherent. The problem is a problem of Ashwedi. If everybody is doing it, I would do it. We need a leader who can say, if you do it, you get punished for doing it. And people can actually see punishment deserving, and this will stop people. Unless that happens, we can as well just hope that there will be an intervention somehow. Absolutely. Thank you, Bessie, always for sharing with us. Guys, thank you so much for coming. I don't know if Okutuko is still online. I'd like to take um, um, just um, a few words from him. Okutuko, are you still there? All right, I think it's gone. A big thank you to everyone who's been a part of the conversation today. We appreciate you always. Okutuko Achebe shared a very touching story with us of how he and some 34 others were kept in a prison cell for hours on the ANSA's anniversary day in Lagos. Victoria Clement, it's good to hear from you always, youth advocate, Moses Omohena, and Dr. Ama has been the executive producer. We'll see you guys again next week. I am Mifemi Oguntoye. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to Thinking Reimagined. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast and welcome your comments, insights, and learnings as we strive to transform our global society. A change in mindset, engagement, collaboration, dialogue, awareness, and education. Thinking Reimagined. Changing the mindset for a better global society. society.